Chapter Six of the Mind the Paint Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Mind the Paint Girl by Louis Tracy. Chapter Six The Plot. When he chose Lily Paradell's birthday as the day on which he would put his fortunes to the test, Nico Jays, as it happened, was running counter to the designs of several other people, few of whom were his friends, while some, if not avowed enemies, at least made common cause against his self-assertive arrogance where Lily Paradell was concerned. Set stubbornly on his own purpose, he was superbly indifferent to the thoughts and feelings of either friend or foe. In pursuance of a settled plan, he resolved to drop in on the Upjohn household about tea-time. The place would surely be crowded with Lily's friends, theatrical and otherwise, but Mrs. Upjohn would rout them when the hour came for Lily to eat a slight meal and to rest before going to the theatre. He counted then on securing an uninterrupted tete-a-tete. It was not wholly surprising that Jays should regard an extraordinary enterprise with a degree of hopefulness. A strong-minded man, dominated by what W. S. Gilbert so happily described as hard-boiled egotism, he would naturally thrust his own interests into the foremost place. He accepted most thoroughly Shakespeare's cheering dictum that, there is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. And whatever the outcome might be, it was unquestionable that an irresistible tide was running in Nico Jay's life at that moment. In fact, a powerful adverse current was making its influence felt a good hour or more before the time he had fixed upon for the visit to Bloomsbury. The earliest caller admitted by the superior parlour-maid was a tall, immaculately dressed young man, whose bearing and appearance suggested the soldier. Indeed, a well-informed critic might have reasoned more closely and detected a guardsman. He was a good-looking youngster, about twenty-five years of age, and his manner held that charming sense of deference to the opposite sex which wins instant approval, whether from parlour-maid or countess. Even the frigid Gladys smiled almost affably. "'No, my lord, Miss Paradell is not at home,' she said. "'But she will be here soon, and I was told to ask any friends who came to wait in the drawing-room.' Lord Farncombe promptly accepted this general invitation. Rather contrary to his expectation, he found himself alone in the drawing-room. Gloves, hat, and cane in hand, he seated himself in an armchair in the middle of the room and glanced round. On pedestals, on a console table, on a china cabinet, on one of the settees, on the tea-table, even upon the floor, stood huge baskets of flowers and other handsome floral devices in various forms, each with a card attached. Lying higgly-piggly on the writing-table were a heap of small packages, mainly jewelry-cases, some opened and some closed, and a litter of paper and string. Every package and case had its accompanying card or letter. Lily Paradell was popular among friends whom she could reckon by the score, and few of them had forgotten the significance of the date. 
Lord Farncombe's gaze rested with approval on one particularly effective bouquet, composed exclusively of Frau Karl Druschki and La France roses, to which, possibly because of its size and beauty, a special place of prominence on the piano had been accorded. At last a somewhat striking portrait of Lily Paradell herself, not in one of her stage characters, but severe in its simplicity, caught his eye. He was rising to examine it more closely when the door was opened, and Lionel Roper entered. The stockbroker, one of those tubby, cheerful, bald-headed little men who seem never to grow older, greeted the young guardsman cordially. "'Hello,' he cried. "'I'm in luck at last. Just the chap I'm hunting for. How do you do, Lord Farncombe? How do you do?' Farncombe shook hands, and managed to conceal any surprise he may have felt, either because of Roper's enthusiasm, or of the very striking and gorgeous waistcoat that Uncle Lal was wearing. Moreover, Gladys came to his aid. Having shown Mr. Roper into the room, she remained in the doorway, and watched his effusiveness with her habitually scornful air. "'I'll tell Mrs. Upjohn you're here,' she said." "'Oh, ta!' replied Roper, without looking at her, and Gladys disappeared. "'It's hot,' he went on, vigorously mopping his domed forehead. "'Miss Paradell is out,' said Farncombe. Roper nodded and took off his gloves. Evidently he was quite at home here. "'She won't be long, I dare say,' he commented, beaming around the room with marked appreciation of its unusual contents. "'I've brought her a few flowers,' said Farncombe, rather at a loss to maintain the conversation. "'Oh, have you?' said Roper. "'I've sent her a trifle of jewellery.' The guardsman glanced at the writing-table. "'She seems to have received quite a lot of jewellery,' he said. "'Yes, by Jove, doesn't she? "'Ah, there's my brooch!' And Roper bustled across to the table to pick up one of the cases and gloat over it. Farncombe came a little nearer. I didn't consider I'd a right to offer her anything but flowers, on so slight an acquaintance, he explained modestly. Roper grinned acceptance of such an excellent sentiment. Exactly, but I'm an old friend, you know. Plenty of time for a youngster like you. Perhaps by her next birthday. I hope so. The two smiled at each other, and Roper read something in the younger man's face which encouraged him to unfold the scheme he had in mind. He approached Farncombe closely, and took hold of the lapel of his coat. "'Look here,' he said confidentially. "'Are you doing anything to-night?' "'I—I I shall be at the theatre, of course.' "'Oh, we shall all be at the theatre, to shout many happy returns, and kick up a general shindy. Later, I mean, after the show. Are you free?' "'There is nothing that I can't get out of,' said Farncombe eagerly. "'Good. Well, you see, it's this way.' Smythe is giving Lily a bit of a supper in the foyer, with a dance on the stage to follow. Quite a sociable affair, about five-and-twenty people all told. Will you come? If Mr. Smythe is kind enough to ask me, began Farncombe. He does ask you through me, said the impetuous Roper. He's left all the arrangements to me and Maury Cooling. Carlton never did anything in his life. I egged him on to this. I've been sweating at it since eleven o'clock. I haven't been near the city, not near it. There'll be a hue and cry out for me soon from my office. Well? There was no need to ask the young officer whether or not the invitation was agreeable to him. 
His eyes glowed, and he beamed down on the little stockbroker, as though the latter had just conferred on him the dearest wish of his heart. "'I shall be delighted,' he said, and there was no doubting the genuineness of the conventional phrase on this occasion." "'Splendid,' said Roper, with a self-satisfied air. "'I've been trying to get on to you all day. "'I've called twice at your club and at St. James' place. "'Sorry you've had so much trouble.' Roper bounced down onto the settee in front of the writing-table and applied his handkerchief again vigorously. Small and mercurial, he was singularly lively in his actions, and did everything with a zest whether it was heading a daring attack by the bulls or taking a pretty girl into supper. "'There'll be the Baron,' he said confidentially. "'Sam de Castro, Bertie Fulkerson, Stu Henniage, Jerry Grimwood, Colonel and Mrs. Stidolf. You know the Stidolfs. She used to be Dolly Enser, and ourselves, besides Cooling and Vincent Bland. And the pick of the company. Catani does the food and drink.' <sighs> I don't believe I've forgotten a single thing. Then his tone changed to one of deep import. He pointed to the armchair from which Farncombe had risen. Sit down a minute, he went on, sliding along the settee so as to come nearer. Are you waiting to see Lily this afternoon? I, I should like to, said Farncombe diffidently. Because if Jays should happen to drop in while you are here... Captain Jays? "'Yes, Nico Jays, or if you knock up against him tonight at the theatre, "'Mum, about this!' "'About the supper, you mean?' Roper nodded emphatically. "'Yes, of course. We don't want Nico Jays. We simply don't want him. "'And if he heard that you and some of the boys were coming, "'he might wonder why he wasn't included.' "'Viscount Farncombe considered the point for a moment. "'He strikes me as being a rather surly, ill-conditioned person,' he remarked seeing that roper evidently expected him to say something a regular loafer agreed the other he appears to live at catani's i never go there without meeting him the stockbroker spread wide his hands and pursed his lips he had never forgiven nico for daring to thrust himself into lily paradell's life exactly he said affecting an air of commiseration catani's and a top-back bedroom in german street and hanging about the Pandora, that's Nico Jays all the time. Farncombe hardly cared to enter Con Amour into a backbiting discussion regarding anyone whom Lily Paradell received on the terms which he fancied were accorded to Jays. He's quite an old friend of Mrs. Upjohn's, and of Miss Paradell's too, isn't he? he asked. Roper evaded the point. "'Known him some time, of course,' he answered airily. "'That's it. That's the complete explanation. "'Lily's so jolly faithful to her old friends.' "'You oughtn't to complain of that,' commented Farncombe smilingly. "'Oh, but I'm a real friend,' declared Roper. "'I've always been a patron of musical drama. It's my fad. "'And I kept an eye on Lily long before she sprang into prominence. "'Do you remember Mind the Paint, Mind the Paint?' and he sang the words gaily. "'Why, I've looked after her like a father. Uncle Lal, she calls me.' Seeing that his hearer was somewhat taken aback by the decisive claim he had put forward to exercise an avuncular right of discretion with regard to Lily's associates, he added reassuringly, "'I'm a married man, you know, but the wife has plenty to occupy her with the kids, and she leaves the drama to me. She prefers Bexhill.' 
Then, thinking to strike the iron while it was hot, he leaned forward and spoke with great emphasis. "'Farncombe, what a charming creature!' "'Mrs. Roper?' inquired the Viscount innocently. "'No, no, dash it all. I'm talking about Lily.' "'Oh, and so's my missus, for that matter, when she chooses. "'But Lily up, John!' His cracked voice rose in a crescendo of admiration. "'Ah,' said Farncombe, in the low reverent tone of one speaking of a goddess, "'she's beautiful, perfectly beautiful.' "'Yes, and as good as she's beautiful, you take it from me.' Feeling he had gone far enough, he dismissed the topic with a wave of the hand. "'Well, if you see Jays, you won't—' he ended abruptly. But Farncombe fully understood. Not a syllable, he said. Roper, virtuously conscious that he had done his duty, rose and walked across the room, yielding to that incurable propensity of his to be always on the move. I've warned the others, he began, but broke off to say hastily, By the by, if Lily should mention the supper in the course of conversation, remember, she's not in the conspiracy. Conspiracy? The younger man did not seem to like the word, but the deus ex machina of a scheme which contemplated the shutting out of an undesirable from that night's joyous festivity determined to put matters clearly. To shunt Nico, he insisted, were letting her think there are to be no outsiders. Roper hardly understood that a certain type of man needed a very gentle touch on the reins when being brought over such difficult ground. Obviously Farncombe found some puzzling element in the project. Why, came the question, which he very much liked Captain Jay's to be asked? The fussy stockbroker was becoming slightly impatient. This young gentleman was altogether too considerate of other people's feelings. Life is hard in many respects, as any man quickly discovers after a novitiate passed in the peculiar atmosphere of Capel Court. "'You don't seem to grasp the proposition,' he declared. "'Haven't I told you? Once you're a friend of Lil's—' The door opened, but Roper's alert eyes were on it before anyone became visible. "'Is this Ma?' he cried. Yes, it was Ma, podgy and stupidly good-humoured as ever. Ma, attired in an expensive dress, designed for a woman several inches taller and slimmer and many years younger.' but she carried herself gaily and tripped into the room with a pleasant smile on her contented features. "'Hello, uncle,' she said. Roper greeted her with an excited flourish which conveyed at once a welcome and an indication that there was someone of consequence in the room. "'Lord Farncombe,' he explained grandiloquently. Mrs. Upjohn, who would not have been disconcerted in the least had he announced that the visitor was of royal blood, advanced and shook hands cordially. "'Glad to see you here again,' she chirped. "'You have been before, haven't you?' "'Last week,' said Farncombe, smiling apologetically. "'Of course, of course. You came with Mr. Bertie Fulkerson. But somebody or other is always popping in.' Suddenly bethinking herself that she must not encourage promiscuous callers, she added, "'Lil sees too many, I say. It's tiring for her. Won't you sit down?' Roper essayed valiantly to change the conversation. Mrs. Upjohn's modes of expression were altogether too candid. "'Lord Farncombe has brought Lily some flowers, Ma,' he said. "'Where are they?' he asked, turning with the quickness of a robin. 
The young Viscount waited until Mrs. Upjohn had settled herself comfortably on the settee in front of the writing-table. Then he took a chair near her and pointed to the basket of white and pink roses. On the piano, he said. Unhappily, the good lady barely glanced at the delightful bouquet. "'Oh, kind of you,' she said. "'Such a waste of money, too. They do go off so quick.' Roper, concealing his impatience with an ill-grace, affected to read the cards attached to the various floral gifts. "'Where is Lil?' he demanded. "'She's settin' to a risin' young artist in Fitzroy Street. Claude Morgan, his name is,' said Mrs. Upjohn. "'And she won't be home till past five. It's so tirin' for her. I don't know why—' "'Never heard of Morgan,' broke in Roper. "'No, nor anybody else? That's what I tell her.' Why waste your time giving sentence to a rising young artist when the big man would go down on their hands and knees to do you? But that's Lil all over. She's the best-natured girl in the world, and so she gets imposed on all round. Uncle Lal clenched his hands in sheer desperation, but Farncombe gallantly came to the rescue. I prophesy that Mr. Morgan's picture won't have dried before he's quite famous, he said. The effort fell flat on the person for whom it was chiefly intended. Mrs. Upjohn turned a pair of dull eyes full upon him. "'How do you mean?' she cried. Quite disconcerted, Farmcombe tried to explain. "'I—er—I uh, mean—' he stammered. "'Why won't it have dried?' inquired Mrs. Upjohn, clinging to the one fact which had penetrated her narrow intelligence. With an effort, the guardsman pulled his wits together. "'I mean he will have become celebrated before it has dried,' he said. "'His pictures never do dry, you mean?' persisted Mrs. Upjohn. Roper was again bathed in a profuse perspiration. Really, his protégé's mother was too impossible. "'No, no, ma,' he broke in despairingly. But Mrs. Upjohn swept aside the difficulty as immaterial. "'However, it doesn't really matter,' she sighed. "'He isn't even going to put her name to it.' "'Why not?' said Roper hopelessly. He dreaded what she might say next. "'You may well ask. He's bent on calling it the mind-the-paint girl. "'But what's wrong with that? Everybody will recognize who that is.' Ma was utterly unconvinced. "'Her name's printed on all her photos,' she said plaintively. Farncombe tried his hand again, though not widely experienced in the ways of this strange world into which he had wandered. He realized at least that it was highly important to win the good graces of the mother of the divinity at whose shrine he worshipped. Miss Paradell's nickname is well known, he said. The first time I had the pleasure of seeing your daughter on the stage, Mrs. Upjohn, the man next to me said, Here comes the mine the paint, girl. So the picture will possess an excellent label. Mrs. Upjohn decided to cheer up and look at things in the best light. Oh, well, she cried, perhaps young Morgan knows his own business best. Let's hope so, at any rate. Roper, who, to use one of his favorite idioms, was dancing about like a cat on hot bricks, beckoned to Farncombe. I watch you, he said in a stage aside. The other was mystified, but rose instantly. Excusing himself to the lady, whose contributions to the talk were so jerky and disturbing, he joined Roper. Mrs. Upjohn was conscious only of escaping from a tedious conversation. She went to the writing-table and sat down to examine the jewellery with unconcealed delight. 
"'Do me a favor,' whispered Roper in Farncombe's ear. "'Certainly.' The stockbroker consulted his watch. "'It is only half-past four, he said in the same subdued tone. "'Take a turn round the square. I've some business to discuss with the old lady.' Farncombe nodded and crossed the room to Mrs. Upjohn. "'I think I'll go for a little walk and come back later on, if I may,' he explained smilingly. His hostess was quite contented, ridiculously so, in Roper's opinion. "'Oh, just as you like,' she said. "'I'll return in about a quarter of an hour,' said Farncombe. "'If we don't see you again, I'll tell Lil you've been here,' she cried, still fingering the presents. But Farncombe was not to be put off, even in this downright fashion. "'Oh, but you will,' he cried. "'You will see me again.' "'Well, please yourself, and you'll please your dearest friend.' "'As Lil's dad used to say,' came the parting shot from the table. "'The concession was not a great one, but it sufficed.' "'Thank you, thank you very much,' said the Viscount, and he went out, closing the door behind him. Then Mrs. Upjohn seemed to become aware of an unusual atmosphere. She turned and looked at the furious Roper. "'I believe you gave that young man the in to go, uncle,' she said. "'So I did. I told him I wanted to talk business with you.' The words were blurted out with a species of repressed fury, but Mrs. Upjohn was impervious to Uncle Lal's sarcasm. "'Business?' she cried indifferently, and resumed her inspection of the glittering array of trinkets on the table. She picked up one and examined it critically. "'This is a handsome thing, Mr. Grimwood sent her,' she purred. The stockbroker thrust his hands deep in his trouser pockets and contemplated her with an air of desperation that would have been comical in a French farce. "'Upon my soul, Ma, you're a champion!' he roared. Mrs. Upjohn understood that when a man shouted he was annoyed, so she condescended to give her attention to whatsoever grievance Roper was harboring. "'Now what have I done?' she cried plaintively. "'Well, you might spread yourself a little over young Farncombe,' came the angry explosion. "'Spread myself? Why should I?' "'Confound it! He's Lord Farncombe, a real live lord, ma!' Mrs. Upjohn snapped her fingers. "'I treat him all alike. So does Lil,' she said carelessly. "'And he's not the first title we've had here, not by a dozen.' Her smug self-content got on Roper's nerves. "'No, but damn it all!' he began. Then he recollected himself. "'I beg your pardon,' he said. Mrs. Upjohn beamed expansively. She knew that somehow she could not tell exactly in what way she had put her critic out of court. "'So you ought,' she said, "'swearing like a trooper. But this chap's in love with her,' Roper explained frenziedly. Mrs. Upjohn giggled. She had heard that story so often." "'Oh, they're all in love with her, or I've been, one time or another.' "'Yes, but they're not all Farncombs, and they're not all marrying men. "'And I'm prepared to bet my boots that if Lil and young Farncombe could be thrown together—' Resolving to bring matters to an issue in so far as Lily's mother was concerned, he sat down springingly on a settee, and invited her to join him. "'Here,' he said, "'do talk it over.' but Mrs. Upjohn was not to be cajoled out of her placid attitude. "'Where's the use of talking it over? It's wasting one's breath. My Lil doesn't want to marry. Anyhow, not yet a while. She's quite happy and contented as she is. When she does, I suppose it'll be the captain.' 
She spoke with such calm acceptance of the inevitable, and smoothed out her skirt so contentedly that Roper was stirred to real indignation. "'The captain!' he repeated, and his utterance was not loud now, but hissing and venomous. "'Ma, the day Lil marries Nico Jays, you and she will see the last of me!' His voice rose on the concluding word with a sinister emphasis that did finally succeed in disturbing Mrs. Upjohn's equanimity. "'Oh, don't say that, uncle,' she cried. "'But I do say it. The disappointment would be more than I could stand. He is a selfish, designing beggar.' "'Now, no abuse, uncle. I don't like it.' That was Mrs. Upjohn's way. Whenever she was cornered in an argument, she would evade the direct issue by a remark of that kind. But Roper was not to be placated. He was determined to thrash this matter out, once and for all. "'A fellow who gets on the soft side of Lil, before she is out of her teens,' he cried passionately, "'before she's made any position to speak of. And when she has made a position, and he's practically on his uppers, sticks to her like a limpet, it's sickening. That's what it is. But she sticks to him, too, Mrs. Upjohn reminded him. It meant a great deal to Lil in her humble days. You must recollect that she should receive attentions from a gentleman in the army. She doesn't forget that, and I don't blame her for it. Roper was not to be pacified. Mrs. Upjohn had tacitly refused to be seated. So he jumped up from the settee and walked to and fro. "'It's cruel, that's what it is, just cruel,' he muttered. "'Here's Gwenny Harker and Maidy Travail, both married to Pierce's sons, "'and Eva Shafto to a baronet, all of them Pandora girls. "'And our Lil is left high and dry, engaged to a nobody. "'It's cruel, there's no other word for it.' "'She's not actually engaged,' demurred Mrs. Upjohn. "'Um,' Roper puckered his lips disdainfully. The idea was, went on the good lady, when he shirked going to India and gave up soldiering so as to be nearer, that he should get something to do in London. Then they were to be engaged. The stout stockbroker laughed sarcastically. Nature had intended him for a low comedian, and he did really look ridiculous now that he was genuinely in a rage. Oh, to be just, I admit he's in no hurry, he snapped. He's been a whole year looking for something to do in London, looking for it at Catani's and at the Pandora bars. Mrs. Upjohn was growing concerned and tried to mollify him. Do be fair, Uncle Lal, she said. He has to be on the spot at night to bring Lil home after her work. But she had only succeeded in providing another bone of contention. Exactly, fumed Roper, and when a decent, eligible young chap comes along and means business, he's choked off by finding Nico Jays in possession. Halting suddenly before Mrs. Upjohn, he said impressively, Now you mark what I am telling you. Farncombe has not tumbled to it yet. Mrs. Upjohn was becoming indifferent again. She certainly did not know what he meant. As indeed, she said. No, Bertie Fulkerson has held his tongue about it. So have the other boys, who are friends of Farncombe's. They see he's hard hit. Oh, they're good boys. They're good, loyal boys. And Roper's manner changed suddenly to one of supreme content. There's not one of them who wouldn't throw up his hat if Nico got the chuck. Then he bent over her and said, Ma, so impressively that Mrs. Upjohn was startled. Eh, what is it? she cried. 
Roper sank his voice again to a fitting note of intimacy. "'You've heard about this little spree at the theatre? Lil thinks it's to be merely among the members of the company.' "'But ain't it?' "'No, it isn't. You keep quiet now, not a word.' "'Who else?' began Mrs. Upjohn. "'The boys and Farncombe,' whispered Roper dramatically. At last his hearer's armour was pierced. This revelation disturbed her greatly. "'Gracious!' she cried. "'There'll be an awful fuss with the captain tomorrow. "'Pish!' Roper snapped his fingers. But Mrs. Upjohn was not satisfied. "'He's so horribly jealous!' she wailed. "'When Lil tells him who was at the party, there'll be a frightful kick-up.' Roper knew that as well as she did, and a fit of despondency seized him momentarily. "'Oh, I dare say I'm a fool for my pains, Ma,' he muttered. "'Nothing'll come of it. "'Farncombe's as shy as a schoolgirl. "'He'd be on a desert island with a pretty woman for a month without squeezing her hand.' "'Curiously enough, Mrs. Upjohn was beginning to see light, "'while Uncle Lal was becoming enveloped in gloom. "'Bear in mind,' she said thoughtfully, "'I shouldn't raise any objection if Lil could be weaned away from the captain "'and took a fancy to young Farncombe.' Objection! The little man called the gods to witness that women were in order unto themselves. Mrs. Upjohn was thinking hard now, and pursued her line with blissful heedlessness of Uncle Lad's satire. When all's said and done, she communed aloud, to be Lady F, with no need to work if you're not disposed to, is better than being Mrs. Captain J's, and having to linger on the stage, perhaps till you drop, to help keep the pot a-boilin'. Lady F. Her eyes were wide open now. She was daydreaming. Roper took heart. She had come round to the right humour at last. And Countess of Godalming when his father dies, he prompted her. Mrs. Upjohn instantly looked far into the future. "'I suppose there'd be any amount of unpleasantness with the family?' she reflected. "'The family!' Roper snorted disdainfully. "'But there is generally a rumpus in such cases.' Her friend was ready to deal with that objection decisively. "'Why, Ma,' he said, "'these tip-top families ought to feel jolly grateful that we're mixing the breed for them a bit.' Look at the two lads who have married Gwenny Harker and Mady Travell. Even Eva Shafto's husband. They haven't a chin or a forehead between them, and their chests are as narrow as a ten-inch plank. Quite true, nodded Mrs. Upjohn. In her own quiet way, she had noted these defects for herself. And Farncombe himself, continued Roper, warming to the task, he's inclined to be weedy. I maintain it's a grand thing for our English knobs that their slips of sons have taken to marrying young women of Lil's stamp. Keen-witted young women, full of the joy of life, with strong frames, beautiful hair and fine eyes, and healthy pink gums and big white teeth. They sneer at the Pandora girls. Great Scott, it's my belief that the Pandora girls will be the salvation of the aristocracy in this country in the long run. Hush, murmured Ma and Captain Nicholas Jays lounged in. End of chapter 6